0: Welcome back to the Cloth Cultures podcast for the British Textile Biennial with me, Amber Butchart. Throughout this series, I'm exploring the Lancashire Textile Gallery, a new online resource that brings together objects and artefacts held by museums, archives and manufacturers from across the county. I'll be speaking to curators, artists, enthusiasts and researchers about everything from the exquisitely detailed medieval embroidery known as Opus Anglicanum to costumes worn by visitors to Blackpool's Pleasure Beach in the 1930s. And in this episode, it's exactly that medieval embroidery that I'm delving into. Known as Opus Anglicanum, or English work, this embroidery was prized around the world for its skill and its artistry. I spoke to Alison Cooper and Marjorie Dunderdale from Townley Hall about how this historic house in Burnley, Lancashire, has a set of remarkable medieval vestments in their collection. My
1: name's Alison Cooper. I work at Townley Hall. My job title here is Assistant Curator of Fine and Decorative Arts. Um, i've been working here about four and a half years which has been quite a strange time because a lot of it has been through lockdowns and covid while we've not really been functioning in the same way as a as a museum um, and Townley hall has a real collection of all different types of objects so although my job title is fine and decorative arts i do have an interest in the whole hall and the narrative of the family really comes into the topics linking with the objects and also with the collections with the fabric of the building Um, and there's lots of different stories that can be told about the place so it is an interesting place to work
2: hello Uh, my name is marjorie dunderdale and i've been working as a room steward volunteer Um, for about five years. When I retired from being a school business manager at a local school, I decided I wanted to do something just for me. i volunteered for Talking Newspaper for the Blind for about 40 years. And I thought, no, something just for me. I love history and I have lots of connections with Townley Hall. It's just on my doorstep. So I thought, oh, why not? And I love every minute of it. I hate it during winter when we have to close down. But um, during the summer months, uh, it's absolutely glorious here. The building's beautiful, and I really enjoy the job I do.
0: Alison, can you tell me about the history of Townley Hall? Townley Hall is quite different from a lot of historic
1: houses. We're a historic house, but we're housing a collection of objects that are Burnley Borough Council's collection. So it's very, very different. Although it was a historic house for, it's been a historic house for over 600 years with the Townley family living here up until 1902, when this hall was sold to Burnley Borough Council around that time, most of the objects inside the hall had been removed. So it's a historic house, but it's not a historic house that's representing how people lived here. So when it was purchased in 1902, the stories go that the only thing that was in the hall was a huge table, which is in the Great Hall, um, and everything else had been taken out or sold. So over time, we've been able to find in auctions and sales and through donations and long-term loans, we've been able to find items from the family to bring back to Townley. Um, but we also have a collection of lots of different objects from ancient Egyptian collections to an amazing selection of fine art paintings, watercolours, picture um, illustrations, furniture, chairs and a real wide variety of ceramics. It's just um, a real treasure trove of objects. So at Tenley Hall we've been working for the last few years to plan quite a major restoration of sections of the hall that really do need some work. We've got an extremely decorative plaster ceiling uh, in the Great Hall. Um, This piece is one of the only types of its kind in the country. And we also have renovation work done on that. And it's going to be taking place for over two years. We're also encountering some issues with our roof. So we're having a whole new roof over the building. So over the next two years, there are going to be times when certain areas of the hall aren't as accessible but all the information about this is on our website um, and we are hoping that the building work should be completed by 2025 so if people are keen to visit which we'd love to show people around we're endeavouring to keep sections of the hall open and hopefully where the vestments are but do check our website send us an email or give us a quick call on our reception number just to make sure if you are traveling
0: and can you tell me a bit about the history of the family So the family um, have lived at Townley
1: for over 600 years and there's been lots of different characters within the family. They made their money from being landowners and through minerals and mining and they've been quite a strong presence in the local area. So Townley Hall is in Burnley in East Lancashire and they've been quite an influence in the local area for a long time and one of the main characteristics of the family that comes through in the historical narratives is about their um, Catholic faith and how they kept the Catholic faith during the Reformation and how that in some ways pushed them away from the authorities because um, they often got fined and they were found out about different things but they continued that Catholic faith right the way through and were able to maintain something that you know other families maybe didn't um, didn't keep that connection with
0: So interesting. Marjorie, what's your earliest memory of Townley Hall?
2: Well, you'll not believe this, but when I was at uh, secondary school, have you heard of something called work experience? It's not called that these days, but I was one of the first people in Burnley to come on work experience and I came to Townley Hall and I worked in the office with the curator for two weeks and absolutely loved it. Uh, So how far back do you want to go? I'll not give away my age, but I was 16 at the time. And it's a good (laughs) few years ago. So that's my (laughs) earliest recollection. And then I was fortunate enough to get a job working for Sir Simon Townley when he was Lord Lieutenant of Burnley. And um, I worked at his home at Darnley, which is not very far from here. Sadly, he's just died. Uh, at the age of 100. Um, So that was another little connection. Um, So uh, I've got a lot of history with Townley uh, Hall and the family.
0: That's fantastic. Alison, can you tell me about the Wally vestments that you have in your collection? What's the history of these pieces? The vestments are such an important part of the collection at Townley.
1: They were originally made for the Cistercian Abbey, of Whartley that was originally built and established around 1296. Um, and as the abbey, it took it took a long time to build up the abbey to being um, a main kind of place. And during that time, they obviously invested in elaborate and decorative pieces for the abbey. And the vestments were thought to have been made between about 1415 and 1430. So at this time, they would have been used in special masses and in special celebrations within the High Church, within the Catholic Church, and they're very luxurious, they're elaborate and very detailed. And because, as I mentioned earlier, the Townley family are a family who practiced the Catholic faith all the way through the Reformation, when uh, Henry VIII abolished the monasteries at the time of 1537, Wally Abbey was closed it was closed down so at that time one of the Townley family members Sir John Townley it's um, said that he took the vestments and brought them to Townley Hall and from that time bringing them to Townley Hall they stayed at the hall until around 1902 when the hall was sold so they have a real strong connection to Townley Hall. Townley Hall has its own chapel within the hall. Um, and those vestments would have been worn and used in the chapel in a very discreet manner during the Reformation when it was made illegal to practice the Catholic faith. So it was such a great privilege to have them back at the hall. The vestments um, came back to Townley Hall in about 1922 when we were able to purchase them from auction. Um, and that was because Burnley Borough Council saw them and knew how important the pieces were. and to Bring them back to Townley Hall where they'd had a 600 year life already um, was a really special thing to do. So they've been on display um, for most of the time they've been here. They are a really special part of the collection and also nationally because the only other example of a pre-Reformation Catholic vestments um, are from this set. Two pieces came to Townley Hall and one piece went to the Borough Collection in Glasgow. So we've got a chasuble and a dalmatic here at Townley Hall and the Borough Collection have also got a dalmatic there, but it's from this one collection of the three items that were probably made in the same place that went to Wally Abbey and then obviously came to Townley for that 600 years and then they got split up um, around 1922 when the when the family estate was being sold Um, So we're really, really, you know, pleased to have those two items in the collection here. And it's a very local link as well, because Wally Abbey is around 10 miles from Townley Hall. So it's really great that these have been kept in East Lancashire because other collections, you know, within the V&A and other organisations, if they were to go further away to more of a specialist museum, they wouldn't be in the local area and reflect the heritage of East Lancashire.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's so important to have them there. It's fantastic. Can you tell me more about Opus Anglicanum and the related VA exhibition in 2016?
1: So the term Opus Anglicanum, it's actually a direct transla- Latin translation for English work, which means English embroidery. So it's a, it's a type of embroidery. And the vestments at Townley really use examples of different types of stitches within the embroidery. And the pieces we have, they're very narrative, so they tell stories from the Bible. Um, and these vestments are very elaborately embroidered, so they've and they use very rich and luxurious silks and threads. Um, with silver plates, um, so that it it really brings out a shine and it it really kind of looks like something that would really dazzle um, in a church setting, you could imagine, with the candles kind of reflecting the light upon them. The related exhibition at the V&A in 2016-17, we loaned the two pieces from Townley Hall to that exhibition, and that was really showing masterpieces of English medieval embroidery and it was showing different examples and the two pieces sent from Townley, the chasuble and the Dalmatic, were example pieces that were kind of crucial to that exhibition. So we're really, really happy to loan them and I think it was one of the first times that medieval embroidery had been brought together in an exhibition of that type and to show the the skills and the depth and the knowledge that people had at that time because um, there were specialist places in mostly in London that were creating this type of textiles that was really sought after across Europe. And England was really at the, at the foremost front um, of that, that style at the time.
0: What patterns and
1: designs can we find in the collection? So the vestments um, that we have at Townley, the Wally Abbey vestments, they have uh, quite interesting designs. There is um, a background of silk gold fabric, which is originally Italian, and that has lots of um, detail woven into it. So it's got these symbols of the crown and these symbols of knots as well, that's kind of woven into that textile. And then on top of that, on the vestments, the main symbolism that you can see on the vestments is that of strawberries. Um, And I've been looking a little bit more in detail since researching for the podcast about the symbolism and about the strawberries that are on the vestments. And when you do look at them in detail, they kind of look like strawberries, but they also kind of don't look like strawberries. They're just very, very interesting features. Um, They're made more out of a kind of velvet material, and they've got a real depth to them where it's been built up. And you can see that kind of texture of how the strawberry does have that kind of like dimpled effect on the outside but sometimes you do look at these older representations and sometimes you do wonder where people are getting the original visual patterns from for that cuz as well some people do refer to them as pomegranates if they were pomegranates then the stems and the flowers and the leaves wouldn't fit but when you actually look at them as a strawberry they do look a bit more like a pomegranate so there's some still some <laughs> there's still some little pieces in that um that a little bit of a mystery. But I wonder whether it's artistic license at the time, and I wonder whether people really saw strawberries on an everyday basis. You know, it's one of those things where people are representing something, but maybe they don't have a strawberry there to, you know, originally take the detail from. So the strawberries um, represent the idea of righteousness. Um, it's believed that they could be a cure for illness, um, And so they're a very kind of delicate and humble fruit. They bow to the ground. um, And they've got a three-partitioned leaf, uh, which could be a reminder of the Holy Trinity within the Catholic Church. Um, So the strawberries are really, really interesting. And they also represent and link into the stories, which are embroidered onto the pieces, um, because the vestments have been made to honour Saint Mary or the Virgin Mary. And the strawberries also linked in the symbolism to the Virgin Mary. Wow, what kind of religious motifs do we see? Each of the two pieces of vestments, the chasuble and the dalmatic, have got panels that have been sewn on top. And the panels depict different scenes from the Bible. Um, So you've got things like the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel visited Mary to, sh- to say that she would be the mother of Christ. Um, and you've got all these separate panels, and they've been very elaborately stitched in a kind of chain stitch. And you can see how they work in these arches and they kind of curve round. And that then gives the representation, there's quite a few representations of a donkey, because obviously the um, stories tell about Mary's family, about her parents tells about her being betrothed to Joseph and it talks about the birth of Jesus Christ. So within all those stories we think about we've got the um, the three wise men visiting, we've got the angel appearing to the shepherds, we've got the little donkey taking Mary through and then we've also got scenes which are a little bit more gruesome where Herod had sent out his troops to kill any children under the age of two um so that's kind of depicted at the bottom of one and there's another lovely depiction of the miracle of the palm tree where Jesus commands the palm tree to bend down so he can feed his family with the fruit of the tree so it's quite a varied depiction and these embroideries the offerings um, they run down the central panel of the vestments um, and yeah they're really quite interesting characters and faces and and people and donkeys and all sorts of different embroidery and even small details of objects that are slightly raised out. So they've got padding behind them and you can see how they've really raised that section out to give it
2: that kind of 3D effect.
0: Marjorie, what are visitors' reactions to the vestments when they visit Townley Hall?
2: I think when visitors come to Townley, they're very pleasantly surprised because somehow they don't seem to expect all that's here. And um, going through the hall, uh, room by room, and then getting to the vestments, uh, and then into the chapel, it really is sort of the icing on the cake. We have visitors come especially to see the vestments, uh, groups of people. Uh, I usually leave them to it because they know more than me, GCEO level. uh, I did get a distinction, grade A, but it certainly isn't in this league. Uh, So I usually leave them to uh, just explore the vestments and give them the history of them. But they are quite beautiful. Alison and I have just been to see them. And for me, having done the research, I now appreciate a lot more of the detail and the splendor, really of all the offerings and the tiny stitches that make facial expressions um, just just seem so clear.
0: And What are your favourite patterns and designs or or these tiny details that we see in the vestments?
2: I quite like the strawberries um, because it it is a symbol of righteousness, but um, I am a churchgoer and I can't deny that the um, stories that are told in, on the um mean a lot to me, and I'm sure they do to other people when they come round too.
0: Do we know anything about where the vestments might have been made or embroidered? Tell me a little bit about the history of these pieces. Uh,
2: well, we, we know that uh, this embroidery did take place uh, in small workshops, usually men who maybe had served seven-year apprenticeships for doing this kind of work and mainly in the city of London, it was something that um, high society people um yearned for, and they actually practiced. when they came into this collection, Sir John Tanley brought them from Wally Abbey and they've been treasured here. and when they were they've been for conservation on two occasions, one was nineteen eighty seven and they were away for a period of five years then, at Blackburn, new, at Blackburn the Northwest Museum service, and uh, then they went away again in 2006, and that was to the University of Southampton and their conservation uh, services there. And, um, well, apparently, so it said, they came back as good as new, sparkling and, and of course, They introduced um, a special kind of cabinet for us to keep them in. These cases were specially made and cost us about £7,000, I believe, to to actually get the cases installed here uh, with special lighting and air filters. And the frames that the vestments sit on Uh, are of a special Aerolan material, which was provided by British Aerospace. It's used in aircrafts. It's supposed to be a sort of very fine glass fibre. And uh, so they're very well protected and um, hopefully keep in the condition they came back from the conservators in. And so, you know, they couldn't be stored any better, really. Uh, we keep them in a darkened room and the lighting just shines on that golden thread and uh, the Italian cloth of gold.
0: It's the spectacular shininess of these rare and incredible garments that my next guest can shed even more light on. These vestments were rescued by Sir John Townley from a local Catholic family. So I spoke to researcher Esther Rollinson, who's working on a commission for the Lancashire Textile Gallery. I talked to her about her work looking at candlelight and cloth, the recycling of medieval textiles, and how religious devotional practices can be made
3: manifest in fabric. My name is Esther Rollinson, I'm, I'm a second year PhD student at the University of Manchester, um, and I am really, really interested in the histories of the 18th century, both um, Catholicism and material culture.
0: Your PhD research sounds absolutely fascinating. Can
3: you tell me a bit more about it? So my project is entitled Revisiting the English Catholic Household, Faith, Family and Identity um, across the long 18th century. Um, And what I'm trying to do with this work is look inside the English Catholic House and try to piece together what it would have looked like to think about the sort of things that went on in there. Um, and the devotional kind of life of of English Catholics um, at home in the 18th century, so really interested in vestments, chalices, relics, um, embroidered prayer manuals for example, because lots of the kind of bigger Catholic families in Lancashire, including the the Shirevan family at Stonyhurst, who were one of my um, case studies, they would have had chapels within their own households and they really kind of emphasized elaborately decorating these spaces. Um, We know at Stonyhurst, for example, that the chapel kind of there had these huge gilt leather hangings, and that there was a large altarpiece depicting Christ crucified there. And there were at least 10 different sets of vestments um, at Stonyhurst, including one black vestment, which is described as this embroidered vestment with death's heads and fiery tongues. Um, which is my personal favorite kind of record in that um, inventory. Um, what I'm particularly interested in though is how, kind of across this period, women made vestments for the chapel and how they spent time creating this dramatic and arresting space for the practice of their um, worship. They made really lavish not only vestments but altar frontals, corporals for holding the the Eucharist um, and chalice veils, um, and they used really remarkable materials. So dress silks, precious stones, things that come from their own um, jewellery in some cases, um, as well as metal threads, and in some cases, kind of surviving examples of textile, uh, medieval textile. And these are really kind of incredible um, examples. But my favourite object, or one of my favourite objects I've worked with so far, is a um, tiny pouch, um, relatively small pouch, um, which would have been used to transport a silver box in which the Eucharist would have been transported, perhaps by a priest who was serving different um, families within the um, local community. And this little satin pouch um, has got a Marian monogram um, embroidered in the middle. this is an M and an A overlapping Um, but the M has been worked in one type of metal thread um, and the A has been worked in another and I think this is really impressive Um, and the the embroidery is is extraordinary Um, as well. There are small blue flowers embroidered all around the outside.
0: And This sounds absolutely exquisite. What do you think the role of embroidery was in these households? For for women
3: especially, who were highly trained um, in embroidery, who would have practiced embroidery often, Um, this was a way of um, contributing to the domestic chapel and it was a way of ensuring that even in this period where there were no uh, legal churches where people could practice, that the spaces within the household still suitably um, sacred finished, yeah um, and that they were appropriate for the, the, the sacred activity that was going on there yeah
0: some of your research focuses on the preservation and recycling of medieval vestments how might vestments like the wally
3: vestments have been recycled if they hadn't been kept I became interested in what we might sort of think about as the recycling of vestments as it became increasingly clear that that Catholics are really attached to medieval history of their of their church and they believed that the long history of the the catholic church proved that this was like the true church Um, of england they thought protestantism was this new invention that didn't have this historic legitimacy and an essential part of proving that historic legitimacy was to preserve as much of the material record of the catholic past as possible and so what they were especially keen to do is to preserve examples of Um, a type of needlework called Opus anglicanum, which literally just means English work, is a type of really exquisite medieval embroidery made in silks, silver threads, gold threads, some around the 13th century onwards. These were professionally made and they were valued really internationally as some of kind of the best embroideries in the world. Um, And the pieces still today, if you see them in, in collections, they really evidence some vibrant animated figures. So at the time of the Reformation, because of the really dense metal thread count, so many of these were melted down um, to uh, get the, the, the weight of the material, uh, the value of the gold or the silver that had been used in the threads. And so a lot of English Catholics, in response to this kind of process, saw it as their responsibility to preserve these items, to keep them in their households, uh, to try, if possible, to send them to the English colleges um, abroad where they would be safe. Um, again, to preserve this historic record, um, the record of the church, the Catholic Church in England, and but this is actually quite difficult to preserve. By the time we we're at the 18th century, we're some kind of 200 years after the first start of the start of the Reformation in England, and um, they're being continuously worn in some cases by missionary priests, and so they start to as you would expect, they they start to break down, they start to wear, and we find particularly around the shoulders of a vestment, around the under the underarm of vestment, it starts to wear down. So a lot of English Catholic women saw their responsibility to ensure that the um, the embroidered panels, which are in many cases, the kind of uh, the best part of these vestments, were preserved. So they would remove the embroidered panels from the back. And the front of a vestment, discard the backing or uh, potentially recycle in some respect that backing material, but put it onto new silks. Um, so that that vestment could, you would still retain the embroidery, but it would still be fit for use. It would still be a working vestment. There's another example in the collections at the, um, in the collections of Oscar uh, down in Birmingham, where we have this huge linen panel which has um, samples of this um, kind of metal thread embroidery There's, um, on it we have two embroidered angels and these kind of worked um, ornamental lilies and we see those on lots of examples of medieval vestments and here they've been taken um, potentially from a cope or from uh, a chasuble and have been lifted and relayed onto this 18th century linen panel for use potentially as an altar front or as a kind of decorative textile um, in a space. So we see the, the, the retention of these parts of uh, medieval uh, vestments and their reuse in the 18th century. And can you tell me about the Gawthorpe collection that you're working with? The Gawthorpe Textile Collection is it's a huge and really impressive collection of textiles. It houses at least 30,000 different textile items. Um, and it's and therefore is one of the most valuable um, and the largest collections of its kind um, in the UK. It was initially amassed by Rachel K. Shutterworth, who lived at Gawthorpe, and she had this remarkable passion for textiles. Um, and she started this collection to help um, to better teach her students about textiles uh, and the forms and the kinds of textiles and textile techniques during her lifetime. And um, she acquired around eleven thousand objects, and these came largely through the the donations of, of friends and and of family members. And since her death in nineteen sixty seven, it's grown um to to the size that it is now. Despite the kind of huge size of the collection, I have only actually been looking at three textile objects. Um, as I said, these are European, that are ecclesiastical, and they're made in the eighteenth century. Um, what I have been looking at um is an embroidered head of christ um, and this is a spanish object um an embroidered color um i didn't know what color was until i went to hawthorne um, but it is the name that's given to uh, a particular type of embroidery um, which is made by passing threads through pre-punched holes um, in a kind of uh, in a background and the thread is passed from one side to the other often by two people, potentially by two people, um, and this creates a perfect image uh, on both the front and the back of the embroidery, so the embroidery can be seen from from both sides, and the, the example that I've been looking at uh, at gawthorpe which was bought by Rachel K. this depicts the Jesuit Saint uh, Aloysius Gonzaga. Um, the final, the last of the three objects I've been looking at is a kind of ribbon collage, well, I've Called it a, a ribbon collage, it's made up of these tiny cuttings of silk ribbon, metal threads, uh, cuttings of paper, which have been layered on top of each other to create this image of Christ's head in a um, floral um, garden. I've been looking at these objects and um, using a microscope to explore the detail of how they have been made, and um, so I've been able to see in the in the collage, for example, that these individual cuttings of silk, some of them are so small as to be kind of less than two millimetres wide there are, um, there is a, a great made up of tiny cuttings, tiny circle cuttings of uh, blue, like a purpley ribbon. And these have been made from these tiny, tiny two millimetre um, circles, um, which I think is really quite impressive. Um, and I've also used a microscope to take these, uh, some quite detailed pictures of the metal threads, that we used uh, in both the calypso and in the um, ribbon uh, collage, and um, they didn't actually have. They don't actually have any English Catholic textiles um, in the collections at Woolthorpe. But what they do have are some really kind of fascinating European examples. So they had examples of materials that had been made by nuns in convents in Europe, for example. And I kind of jumped at this opportunity to look at different um, objects to look at um, objects from a slightly different context. And um, I've been thinking about these objects as maybe sorts of the kinds of objects that English Catholics would have encountered on their travels abroad. I mean, a a fundamental part of the English Catholic experience in in this period is this movement between England and the schools um, abroad and religious communities abroad. So there's a lot of movement between the English Catholic community and Europe, as there is movement between um, grand tourists and and English people in Europe generally in in this period. I looked at these objects as the kinds of objects that Catholics would have encountered during their travels that they might have brought back. They might have bought and and, um, and brought back for uh, their own houses. So whilst these are European objects, it helped me to think about um, what kinds of objects might have been in the English household in a slightly different way.
0: Now, I'm especially keen to hear about this research into metal thread, especially how it relates to candlelight. Can you talk a bit about that?
3: The metal metal threads have been used in the the gawthor Pythons in both the collage cliche and the ribbon collage. Um, And what they've been done in both of those examples, they've been used to kind of highlight to uh, embellish the design. Um, And I'm really, really interested in metal threads. It's something I'm really kind of interested in. Um, And there are two two ways in which the threads can be made. so, these threads would have been made professionally, and they can be made either by passing a, a metal rod through holes of kind of decreasing size uh, to eventually produce a really, really thin metal wire, which can be used either to sew with directly or to couch uh, that metal wire onto a piece of embroidery. Um, the other way, and the way that we see in the two Gorsorf items, is to a professional craftsperson would have. Uh, flattened a piece of the metal and cut strips from this Um, and then these really small strips again we measured them using a microscope they're less than uh, 0.2 millimeters thick in some cases that is then wrapped around a silk core and they're the kinds of metal threads that we see uh, in both of these items and I think it's especially interesting to think about why metal thread is used in ecclesiastical items i think on the one hand you have this obvious luxury aspect that that the wealth element that's associated with metal thread but i think in some ways it's more complicated than that i think in part they're used deliberately so that they can reflect the candlelight objects including perhaps uh, more relevant the examples i was speaking about before the vestments And they are used in these devotional spaces, which would have been used for masses, for prayers at nighttime, or at times where candlelight was used to illuminate the space. And here, the the flickering light would interact with the metal thread, would create this brilliance, this sparkling effect around these items. And again, if we think about vestments, that obviously as the priest says the mass, uh, the priest moves around. And I think the movement from the, uh, the priest in the vestments, again, would have created different um, flickering effects with the light. Um, and we do see in lots of these objects, the use of not just one kind of metal thread, but threads of different thickness, different types um, of the thread, to create different effects with the light, to create depth um, as well, which is extraordinary. Must have been absolutely
0: spectacular. Just incredible to to see one of those services with all of that different kind of glittering, sparkling happening. I'm interested also in your techniques using microscopes. How did you get started using microscopes in your research?
3: Really, I'm extremely lucky to have access to the microscope through the University of Manchester. Um, The university owns um, this really small... Um, microscope which is incredible it can be just plugged into your computer um and taken to various collections so it's really uninvasive way of looking at these objects um because you can for example i took the microscope to gawthorpe the, the the ribbon uh, collage is really really fragile and it allowed me to go and see that without having to move that object and to take pictures um, of it without kind of um, having to to work with it unnecessarily, and I have to say that I must say that both my um, PhD supervisors, um, Professor Sasha Hanley and um, Dr. Stefan Hans, have worked with microscopy in their own kind of incredible research. They looked at feather work, at um, hair work, um, embroidery. So that is really how how I got into it, and they've been able to kind of guide me and help me to think about how we can use the microscope to look at objects um, throughout my project.
0: And what will your commission for the Lancashire Textile Gallery result in?
3: Yeah, so I'm currently working on a, um, a short article, um, which will include lots of the microscope images, and it will explain what we've been able to find um, in those three items go Gorthorpe um, relating to the stitches, to the metal thread um, use. Um, and that um, short article will be available on the Lancashire Textile Gallery website when that launches in the spring.
0: You can head to LancashireTextileGallery.com for a changing programme of collections, exhibitions and artist commissions, including more information about the vestments at Townley Hall and Esther Rollinson's commissioned article. The Lancashire Textile Gallery is a collaboration between Gawthorpe Textiles Collection, the University of Central Lancashire and the British Textile Biennial, with contributions from museums and archives across the county. The British Textile Biennial 2023 runs from the 29th of September to the 29th of October, exploring the environmental impact and regenerative potential of textiles and fashion. You can find out more on Twitter, at Textile Biennial, and Facebook and Instagram, at British Textile Biennial. See you next time.